Hi, I'm Kate Gregory, the Batty Historian for the State Library of Western Australia. Welcome to WA Stories, our new podcast channel. The mission of the library is to collect, preserve and share our history. Through these podcasts, we hope to unearth tales of WA's past and present. Walking on Water, Spirit of the Swan Coastal Plain is the first of three podcasts produced by Gina Pickering. This episode is recorded on Noongar Wajak Budja. It includes discussion of Aboriginal history and continuing culture. This is Gina Pickering. I've been telling stories about Western Australia since the 1980s. Over the last 20 years, these yarns have focused on the exceptional cultural aspects of the Southwest, Noongar country. In this podcast series, I'll explore three surprising stories through the voices of Aboriginal elders, artists, poets, curators, and historians and how the State Library of Western Australia is responding to the cultural demands of change in our time. Home to the oldest continuing culture in the world and located in one of only 34 international biodiversity hotspots, the Durbel Yerrigan, Swan River, determined the location of the Western Australian capital Perth. Celebrated as Western Australia's first heritage icon in 2004, the Swan River is both loved and betrayed. In 2014, the Western Australian Auditor-General found, despite two decades of monitoring, planning and intervention, the health of the Swan Canning River system is not adequately protected. The State Library of Western Australia actively conserves the Swan River in its own way through its collection, including precious maps, thousands of images and a commitment to the biggest story in town. G'day, my name's Noel Nanup. On my dad's side, I belong to the Wajak people here in this part of the world where the city of Perth is. And on my mother's side, I'm Ngalama Injibrandi and belong to a pool on the Harding River in the Pilbara, a little town there called Roeburn. Most of our stories begin in the netting. In fact, all of them do. And in the beginning, in that cold netting time, We've got to ask ourselves, what happens with water? Please remember, when it's cold, that water freezes. And when it's frozen, and it's maybe a, a, you know, half a kilometre thick sometimes, some of it will move in a serpentile action. That's what we call wagga. And wagga simply means that It's a serpent. So when you hear people saying the woggle or the waggle, 
maybe they're not wrong, but the correct way to say it is Wagar. And you'll get it that way after singing it many times because there's songs for the river. Before the river had a name, before there was a person to name it, it swallowed itself whole, pebble teeth and scouring palate, eating the miles that were not yet miles, excreting alluvium, building a country onto the end of its tongue. Poet, Dr Nandi Chinna. Kulak, home. From the woodlands to the sclerophyll of the eucalypt forests I know, within the air I can certainly feel a benevolence which resembles that of home. Nyang Yang Kuo Daniel Murray Hansen, Nya Nyurka Balarong Buja, Kolongota Wajak Buja. We know our place, we know our land, the king's land the final resting place of the Wagul spirit, where the royalty of the Nyungar people would hold their corroborees, the most sacred of land. Everywhere we declared Nyalang Kulak, our home. Poet Daniel Hansen. So the State Library is really seeking to capture contemporary stories about the Swan River. We're still really interested in the ongoing significance and value. It's obviously the river is such an important focus point for people who live in Perth, at least. And, you know, there's a lot of social activity that occurs around the banks of the river. There's a lot of kind of life-changing moments that occur around the banks of the river. My name is Kate Gregory and I am the Batty Historian at the State Library of Western Australia. I think Derbal Yarragon or the Swan River has always been a fundamental emotional resource for the people living around it. And perhaps we haven't always put that in the foreground. I see it as a very strong emotional dynamic and how we live our lives in this region uh, for both Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people. And that we often underestimate just what kind of emotional value it has as a resource to refresh and recharge people. But I want to say too that these emotions are very complex and not always positive. This is Susan Broomhall, Professor of History at the Australian Catholic University. The city swamps must go. Hyde Park, North Perth, was once a bulrush swamp with the native name of Bujamulling. The Central Railway Station stands where our earliest settlers knew only a lake. Perth Oval formerly Lotan Park, was swamp country until drained 60-odd years ago. Sunday Times, 19 May 1935. My name's Daniel Jan Martin, and I'm an environmental planner and designer based in Perth. Perth was and is a very watery city. Um, it was a whole tapestry of streams and wetlands and waterways that covered the whole coastal plain, um, rivers flowing down from the hills um, and really interestingly groundwater that, that goes many kilometres below the city. And as it comes up, it meets water that's, you know, going down from rain cycles and river floods and uh, recharging aquifers. 
that has once been in those deep aquifers and then produces itself in the ocean. So how's the water levels going with the rain we've had? Now the, the levels are pretty good this year. Sarah Hill, coordinator Parks Strategy and Projects, City of Vincent. I think what makes Hyde Park such a special place is that it's been around for so long and everybody seems to have, I guess, a connection and a memory of the place that they like. I don't think that Hyde Park would have that same significance to people without, without being able to see the water and the wildlife and the birds and the, and the tortoises. The cartographer is not a boatman, dipping his paddle amongst spinning ducks while companionable swans gaggle in the centre of his calculations. Beyond his sight, a swamp harrier quarters the fringes, scoping the undulations of sedge and reeds. A line drawn on water cannot be transcribed into chains, perches, miles. Its equations are dismantled by the punting skull of webbed feet. The best way to think of an aquifer, I think, is a mountain of water beneath the city. And these feed all the wetlands. So where the aquifers cross the terrain, we get wetlands and we get water. And it's an interesting thing about how these aquifers breathe because in summer they're low and in winter they're high and after rainfall they're higher so there's this swelling sort of landscape that creates the waterways and streams and networks of water throughout Perth that's quite unique to Perth. Kaya and Juripan Ngalak Nini Nitcha Wankanin. My name is Marie Taylor. I'm a Wajak Baladong Uat Noongar. The significance of the river here in Noongar country is that it was part of the creation story of the Wagal, the Rainbow Serpent. When he left Boyajan Rock and he came down through York, Northern and back down through Midland, wherever he turned, he created the hole for the river. And then the water came and filled the river up. The sacredness of the river is very important to Noongar people because the Wagal still sleeps and moves about in the river today. And we're the beneficiaries, not just you know, physically, but aesthetically as we watch the product of that rain and that water and how it contributes to our life. It unsettles me as I stare into its darkness. But I try not to turn away. I keep looking as long as it flows, parting from itself and meeting itself again in a quiet cove where it will rake the beach, shells all lifting and settling like breath. And if I'm lucky enough to see black swans moving in pairs, returning home, I wonder if a river could break. I wonder if it is a snake or a turtle or if it is a god. The big part, the Derby Yarrigan of the river, is where the rainbow serpents both played 
hunted and gathered. And then it ended up in becoming a fight. And the male rainbow serpent, he went out and he made his home at Gallop, Lake Munga. And the female rainbow serpent, she left the Derby-Urrigan site and she went down and created the Canning River site, Mujinburra. So we just need to step back a little and understand that as people move across a landscape in the ancient world, there was major tributaries and smaller ones running in. Let's use the um, Swan River for example. If you were to go to the source of that river and do justice by um, accessing every catchment in it, you would access no less than 27 to 30 catchments that all run into tributaries that run into seven major catchments that then run into either the Avon, the Chittering, the Dale and the Mackey. And then suddenly you've got this massive catchment that's bringing water into bigger tributaries that then run into the major one. So the river has been seen since settler times as a method of transportation. It's very critical in the economic infrastructure of the city. It's also been seen as a playground. But there are also very dark emotions. It's a place of loss. It's been a place of danger and restriction, perhaps particularly for Aboriginal peoples. But it also has a dark history of suicides that has not really seen the light of day, but is also part of the emotional complex of the river. The Swan River story is really important for our collection. It's a, it's a thread throughout our collection. The Swan River, of course, the Swan River Colony was settled in 1829. So we have documents in our collection that you know stretch back to that episode in history. The colour of it is wonderful, isn't it? We're very lucky to have it. The first voyage, Freycinet was on, on Baudin's voyage. And this, this map comes from that voyage. And this is all part of the French maritime exploration of, you know, the West Australian coast. So this is Louis de Freycinet, the cartographer-surveyor, who's sailing in The Naturalist in 1801, and he describes the river. The channel is obstructed by a bar of rocks, which it is very difficult to pass over, and indeed impracticable if the wind blows from the sea. So all of the adjectives in there are about the difficulty, the impenetrability of the river, and to a, a greater extent, the landscape that he's seeing here and how he can understand it. I think what's striking is when you look at the difference between that description by the French in 1801 and, and the description by James Sterling, who's coming in 1827. And he describes the magnificent basin surrounded by a succession of natural cliffs and wharves about a mile inside the head. It would be the finest harbour in the world if it had an entrance. I think what's really important to understand is that when European explorers were looking at the landscape that they found when they arrived in this region of the world, 
They were looking for places that looked like home. This river once had a mouth that opened and closed. A mouth with limestone teeth and a tongue of sand. The first rains woke it from its estuarine sleep, loosened its tongue so the mixing, the derbling could begin. Poet Jennifer Kornberger. When you start talking about water, then water is the biggest story because it's everywhere. It's under the ground, so, you know, the term walking on water is applicable. And when you say that in the modern world, most people think of when Jesus walked on the water during that storm. So people will understand in some format. But that'll connect them back to the very important component, which is the spirit of a place and the spirit of everything. Because we believe everything's connected. Everything. And that means physically and spiritually. In 2020, I was appointed elder in residence at the South of Perth Yacht Club. And for me, I was very honoured because I knew that it was a position that could make a lot of difference, not only in the lives um, of the, and the workplace of the Yacht Club, but also um, in our lives, because we had um, never been involved in a Yacht Club before. And we would always drive past it and think, I wonder what goes on there. It has broken a lot of barriers that normally would be within an organisation that doesn't have a lot of Aboriginal people involved in. When we look at our um, history, our history links us to the first sailboats that came here to Western Australia. The Noongar people used to think that they were ghosts and they called the boats Changers. We've got a history from that time to now. Many of it's been very sad, been spoken about, we've shed tears over, but there came a day when government signed off on reconciliation and it brought the Aboriginal person and the white person back to each other's side. That links me to where I am at the South of Perth Yacht Club because here I'm seeing reconciliation happening and being practised when Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people are standing together with the link being boats. When rainbows became scarce, the river sealed its mouth. It curled back and listened to the thousand voices informing it. A river lives between course and discourse. It has business, the office of its whole catchment to fulfil. So when we talk about Nyungar leadership, you'll have many different people, you know, looking at it from different perspectives and looking at it from where I'm looking at it. 
the way I see it is the non-Aboriginal world have had their turn and they've failed every time in relation to looking after the land and our needs as Aboriginal people. We're a different culture and therefore we have um, different ways of doing and being and knowing. If it's Aboriginal-led, then the spirit comes with that. And uh, there'll be people that say, well, you know, so what? But then there's all of those that understand that if we lose our spirituality, then who are we? What have we got? In 2021, the tide is changing. Native title is unfurling. Nyungar-led initiatives, including Danju Korling, which literally means walking together, are providing community leadership, and universities are focused on reconnecting the rivers. At Curtin University, a creek and wetland are a focus of a new research hub. The sad reality for Blackadder Creek is when they first settled that area and built the first dwelling there on the bend, that was where they put a rubbish tip. And they were throwing lots of toxic material into that rubbish tip for years. And now you have this toxic bloom under the ground trying to make its way towards the west. And it's sitting there and it's really putrid. And on that bend is where our wagal appears and has done for a very long time. And the last time it was seen was on that bend. And um, that was in living memory. We would prefer to see it go to parkland and um, be encompassed within this project that Curtin's doing. And um, we'll give it our best shot to try and to save it and um, see how we go. And then it can become part of the bigger story that we can interpret for people. We are ageing now and dressed in sensible shoes and coats. We are longing to know what the river might say or what we might hear if we make this small bow kneeling into the lee of the sandbank, if we scatter these aeolian particles into the moving tide and meet them in the returning wind. Where fingers have gouged, a shell of memory remains in the sand, just moments before the next wave breaks into that territory where the country has met the person for the first time. Thanks for listening to WA Stories. The next podcast, produced by Gina, focuses on rare women of the West, including Fanny Balbuck and Marianne Friend.